0: All right, welcome to today' just show, Jason Shortus. How are you, mate?
1: Oh, just peachy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just peachy. <laughs> mate, you've just um, finished your last um, Ironman triathlon as a professional. How did you go over at Bustleton?
1: Oh, look, it wasn't the day that I really wanted, to be honest with you. Um, but it was, it was about finishing the race. Was essentially what it was about, mainly in the end. I, I struggled. I had a little bit of, I had some gastric distress in the water swimming yeah. and it lasted for about probably five five and a half hours of the race the first oh. five and a half hours. so I, I tried to use every trick in the book to get it restarted and and to make sure that i could get my nutrition through because as you probably know and as probably everybody knows you can't do these ironman things unless you can actually keep some um, energy coming through so um my pace slowed markedly on the bike after the sort of the first lap and then I kind of restarted it again, and about 120k, 130k in the bike, it started to work again, and I kind of just had to make it through to the end. So yeah, just one of those days, mate.
0: But you've got um, one of the probably the strongest runs in looks. You're just a beautiful run you've got. What's your secret with, with that? Because the way you start, on, got... sorry,
1: sorry, you just broke up, break up a bit for a bit there, mate. Sorry, you good.
0: Right. Um, I I was just saying, your run is just absolutely amazing to watch. You look just as strong in the last lap of Ironman Western Australia as you did on the first lap. What's your um, secret with having that real good technique throughout the whole marathon?
1: There's a couple of things that I use. Number one, I make sure I'm fit. I don't sort of start races unless I'm fit. Um, I make sure I'm really strong, and that's not just – being strong functionally as in from a running perspective you're going to be you're going to be able to be strong to be able to run you've also got to be strong so that you can actually control your, your technique and actually maintain your technique throughout but also I, I tend to be very focused um on the here and now i'm very narrow in the way that i focus when i when i do race so when i run i really focus on about probably 10 steps at a time yeah. so i make those 10 steps the best 10 steps i can possibly run at that particular time and then I make the next ten steps the best ten steps I can run, and I just keep going until the race is finished. That's basically it.
0: <laughs> nice. So we'll, we'll we'll dive back to the beginning. Um, what got you into triathlon?
1: Um, oh, look t- to be honest, it was I, I actually wanted to do surf life saving, Iron Man, but we didn't live near the beach. <laughs> so and I was doing lots of different sports. Um I was I was swimming and, and cycling and running kind of independently of actually doing in, them in triathlons. Um, and My father was a a pharmacist at a hospital, and they had a fundraising um, event, basically to to try and raise money for one of their charities. And it happened to be a triathlon, and I gave it a go. And I think I was about fourteen at the time. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was. I just, I I really enjoyed it. I just thought it was really challenging, and I really enjoyed it. But it wasn't really until later on that I probably took it a little bit more seriously. At that stage, I was still playing lots of football and basketball and soccer and cricket, uh, cricket and AFL and. I was playing pretty much every sport I could get my hands on. So yeah.
0: so, 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 you um, have you always been up in Queensland? No, no, no. I actually grew up, I
1: initially grew up, um, my formative years were in Southeast Asia. My dad was actually in the Air Force originally. Right. Um, and then we came back to Australia and we lived in Sydney and that's where I did uh, the majority of my schooling
0: and university. And then was I didn't move up into Queensland until 97. Right. So how do you play AFL in Sydney? That's all rugby league country, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, but I'm—I'm I'm a. Th- <laughs> and don't hold this against me. I'm a third-generation Collingwood <laughs> supporter, oh. so it's kind of—it's kind of in the blood, um, and hence the reason why I don't have all my teeth. But it's—I'm it's <laughs> or, or, or not very smart. That probably plays a lot—lot lot to do with it as well. But um, in Sydney, when you play AFL in Sydney, you've got to be a bit of a thug, and so it kind of suited me <laughs> to be honest, because it's not a very skillful game in Sydney, um, particularly in, in club football. And you tend to have to be—you um, have to be able to look after yourself. And I was—I was fairly big, sort of at 14, 15 years of age. I was about ninety-five kilos. Yeah. But could still run and be always fairly mobile. And basically, I was a—I was a thug. It's probably a good way to describe it. Yeah. Nice.
0: So, when—when um, when did you um, turn pro?
1: Um, oh, look, it, it was funny because essentially, you didn't kind of really turn pro when I first started racing triathlon and racing Ironman. So I started racing Ironman in 92,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and essentially how it transpired was basically the first 10 guys across the line got the prize money. Right. It was essentially how it worked. It was one gun, one start. So the gun went off and everybody started all together. And if you finish in the first 10, then you earned prize money. Um, and so 92, I raced Ironman Australia, which was my first Ironman, went to Hawaii, qualified, so qualified for Hawaii, um, won my age group in Hawaii, Came back, raced Ironman Australia in 93 and went seventh overall, second Australian, and and that was the first race in Ironman that I actually made prize money. So essentially, I suppose I was probably professional from then then yeah. on because I had prize money pretty much all the way on um, through the rest of my racing after that. But I wasn't really full-time. I was still working and studying and, and doing lots of stuff, and, and essentially there's always been aspects um, – throughout my career, where I've always had to work or had to study at some stage. So, I don't know, if, professional's are a really funny term, I think, in, in particularly in triathlon. I think most of the guys don't really make a lot of money. So, it's a very, very loose term, professional. So, um, what was what were you studying? Uh, at that stage, I was actually studying physiotherapy. Yeah. Um, so, When I was first out of high school, I, I studied physiotherapy. Um, and then, I basically got a contract to race overseas and went overseas, and I was racing over in Europe for a while. Um, right until probably 2000 and then oh, I, I did a fair bit of stuff, I did a little bit of stuff in Asia as well. Um, but it was always coming back to Australia and doing a bit more study or and, or getting a part-time job or, yeah, it, it was, triathlons is, is such, a, such a fickle sport and essentially if you don't race well, you don't have to make enough money. So you basically got to make do with what you can.
0: Yeah, now the, um, that Kind of reminds me of a, I think it was a blog you wrote a few years back. Um, You were talking about some a a pro, a female pro, um, was sponsored by a bike company and her bike got stolen and so she was unable to to race and and the bike was on um, was being lent to her by the bike companies. If I got that story right or. Yeah, could potentially, I don't
1: remember writing that blog, but that's, I mean, to be honest, that's how a lot of the professionals work with a lot of their bike sponsorships. Um, most bike companies don't like to give give you a bike. They will give it to you till the end of the financial year, and then essentially you've either got to give it back or purchase it or sell it. And yeah. that's the way, yeah, generally it works. Um it could, it could be right. I may have written something about that somewhere. But it, was... it, might,
0: it might even be going back a half a dozen years ago. I've, I'm pretty sure it was you that wrote it, but it was definitely a long time ago. Um, <laughs> so who are some of the people that have been big influencers in your career?
1: Uh, look, essentially, the, the, the guy that I probably owe the most to, who initially started my, off my career, particularly in Man, was Bruce Thomas. Um Bruce kind of took me under his wing and basically talked me into doing my first Iron Man. Um, I would probably not have done it had I known how hard it was initially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and,
1: and, and and but Bruce is such an amazing guy, and he really showed me the ropes. And I, I I learned a lot from him. I learned how to train. I learned how to act in a professional manner. I learned how to treat people. Um,
0: yeah.
1: How to be respectful, uh, particularly towards sponsors, and also other athletes that you race with. Um, and, and I owe a lot of the way, I suppose, the way I race and the way that I view my professional career to, to Bruce. Um, then there's probably a number of coaches that I've worked with as well that I would I would say. And Bruce, is, to be honest, is still a hero of mine now. I, I speak to him as much as I can. I think he's an absolute legend. Yeah. Um, and he was probably the best athlete I ever trained with, to, to be honest. Um, nice. Which is, which is quite – yeah. His career was obviously cut short, but um, as far from a coaching perspective, um, I was coached by Bruce at, at different stages throughout my career. Um, I was coached by a coach called Ron Bonham, who was actually a cycling coach. Yeah, and I, I actually probably owe a lot of the way I race um, to Ron because I remember finishing seventh at Ironman Australia in the second year in '93, and actually yeah. sitting across from Ron at the, the awards table, and he actually said to me, um. Shorto, that's the best you'll ever do you know, man, mate. And I went, okay, all right, that's good, all right. And I I kind of, I got really pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) And so for the next probably four or five years, it was about proving him wrong. And so I think he probably got what he wanted. I think he tried to just get a little bit more drive and a bit more aggro out of me, and he he certainly got that. Um, I trained with Cole Stewart for a number of years, and Cole taught me about pain. Um, He was probably taught me about how to work really, really hard and how to, to basically inflict more, as much pain as I possibly could on myself. Yeah. Um, and an incredible squad. I went through Cole Stewart when he probably had some of the best triathletes in the world training with him, and that was an amazing environment to, to actually learn how to race and learn how to train. Um, Bill Davran probably probably arguably the best coach I've ever worked with and I think probably the best triathlon coach I've ever I've seen in the world. Um, I worked with him. I was very fortunate to work with him for quite a number of years, and essentially, I think he made my career. Nice.
0: Um, yeah. So in the last um, few years, of, of um, last few years, have you been coached or have you been self-coached? Oh, no, I've always been coached by
1: somebody else. Um, well, I've always had input from another coach is probably yeah. the best way to describe it. I, I essentially know what I want to do or what I want to achieve. But I find, particularly with myself but also with a lot of other athletes, that you're the least objective about yourself. So you're either too hard or too easy on yourself, and um, I'm I'm not objective about myself at all. I'm actually really bad. I'm a really bad judge of myself. I I'm incredible. I I I suppose on my own, uh, I'm my biggest critic is the best way to describe it. Nothing is ever good enough. Um, I'm always too soft. I'm always a bit of a wuss. if you, so I'm not a very nice
0: person. <laughs> Especially when you build, it's funny you say that because you kind of build a bit of a reputation of being a hard man in the sport. So it's, it's funny to, that you say that. Now, um, how closely do you um, watch your other people in the sports, like your competitors, whether it's what they're doing in training, in racing and what they're doing on the business side of the sport?
1: Oh, look, to be honest, I've always been... And this was a, a really interesting thing that um, I was I learned from Bruce, I, I suppose, at a f- very early on in my career, and it was a really valuable lesson, is that the biggest person you can focus on, the most important person to focus on is yourself. Yeah. But you can't control what anyone else is doing or what anyone else is saying about you. Um, you can't control the training they're doing or how they do their race. The only person you can control is yourself. And that's... Um, invariably how I've, I've raced my career and how I've, I've trained and how i've done it all um it's always been about trying to be the best that i can be in whatever i do and there you know th- there's always times where you drop the ball and that's if nobody's perfect and i you know i think that there's times where i probably experimented and tried things that and they didn't work
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but it's always been out of uh, from motivation of trying to be the best that i could be and so I think if most people stick to that sort of rule, I think that's, they, can only, they can only end up winning out of that.
0: Yeah. If, so, if, if you could um, take over WTC, what would, what would you <laughs> be doing different than what they're already doing, for instance, for, from a, an athlete's point of view? Oh, Look, I think the
1: biggest problem that I see and the biggest change that I see in the sport is there are so many races around. So many Ironman races around, and I think, in a lot of respects, it's kind of lost its prestige in some some respects. Um, to win an Ironman, look, oh, oh, there are there are athletes that I trained and raced with in my early career who never won an Ironman, and they were better athletes than I could ever have been. you know, I, you know, I, I think of a, I can think of a handful of names right now, and and it was because there wasn't as many races around, and and guys were racing it was a lot harder racing, a lot more competitive racing than what it is now. So yeah. I think essentially the brand is watered down a little bit. Um, I think it needs to be held in, in a bit of high, a bit more prestige. Yes. Yeah. The other thing that I also feel is that, look, there is no doubt in my mind that the age group athletes are essential to the sport of triathlon and the sport would not function or would not be without. It's just not viable at all. Yeah. Um. But I, I see there's a real division between the age groups and the age group athletes and the pros, and I think that is is a really big issue. I would like to see it go back to the older days where it was one gun, one start, and you could, anybody could win an Ironman, whether you were an age group or a pro or not. It doesn't matter, it wouldn't make any difference. I don't think there's a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. I understand a lot of people struggle with it, and the reason why it came about that it was divided between the pro start and the age group start was because people were worried about getting trampled on or, or swam over in the swim. And so from a safety aspect, that's actually quite important. But there's no reason they can't do the the time trial starts that they're doing now and still have the fastest time on the day still winning the race. I think that's a really good thing. The other thing that I'd like to see is professional athletes actually being professional. Yeah. If you're going to race as a professional, you've got to hold yourself in a higher regard than what a lot of the The guys, the young guys and girls that I see coming through are doing. And I see a a sense of entitlement amongst a lot of them. And I tell you what, no one's going to hand it to you. You've got to earn everything, every single thing you get, every single sponsorship you get. You've got to remember that you are a sales person in that particular company. And remember that you represent your sponsors and you represent the sport that you're actually trying to race as a professional. And so... If I was to be WTC, I would actually grab a handful of pros or a dozen pros and actually take them um, and actually say, look, if you want to be a professional in this sport, this is the this code of conduct that you need to adhere to. We can help you. We can help actually help promote you because having you in the sport is going to promote the sport, but yeah. we can actually help you promote you if you are willing to act in a more professional manner and do it this way. And I, I think it's working with the athletes, the professional athletes, and that's... That's why look you can only help their profiles and you know, getting them more involved with training with coaching age group athletes, working with junior athletes, developing other athletes coming through, developing other races, you know developing other markets. I see Asia is the biggest growth area in the sport and it is, and, and I think yeah. WTC has recognized that and that's why you see you'll see an expansion over the next few years in, in Asia. So I think it's a bit at the moment a bit too US centric.
0: Yeah, is yeah. probably
1: the best way to describe it too. So, making it a little bit more worldwide and um, pulling pulling back a little bit from the US—not necessarily pulling back, but trying to expand into other markets—is the other way to do it as well.
0: As yes. many as many of the up and coming pros uh, seek to you for a more of a mentor role at all. because <laughs> uh, I'd imagine uh, I, I did recommend this to an actual person a um, couple of years ago who was talking about he wanted to eventually go pro and he, he was talking about getting a coach and he was he wanted to go um for some just a normal age group coach and i said grab someone like um shortest or i did name a couple of others and i said there that you get on to that they'll be able to guide you the steps of the way so do you with your coaching business do you see a, a number of um age groupers that want to go pro seek your your um advice and assistance
1: yeah I, it's actually interesting i've had a Couple of young guys that have come through and have been age groupers, and they have they actually now transitioned to becoming to racing professionally now. Um, at the end of the day, though, it's all about you can guide, you can lead a horse to water. It. It's, yeah. it's probably a good way to it. And look, there are there. Are, I really like a lot of the young kids, a lot of the young guys and girls that are coming through the sport. I can see, I can see so much, and I try. Uh, uh, there are a few that I really, really like, I, I really do like, and I've actually tried to intervene in, in, in a few instances and sort of say, hey, take them aside and say, hey, look, guys, you know, this is a much better way of approaching. Have you thought about doing it this way? Yeah, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, people are on their own journey and they'll make their own choices and, and decide the way in which they want to go. Um, yeah, I have actually helped a number of athletes that transition from being age group to being pro. It's a really hard transition to make because there is a lot more. It's a you, you you invest a lot more and you actually put yourself out there a lot more. It's a much harder step than a lot of people actually realise. Yeah. Some really good age group athletes that are going around winning their age group and if they put themselves into racing as a professional, they wouldn't be as successful as if they continue to race age group. And that's the problem. The difficulty is actually deciding... If it's worth transitioning across or not and not a lot of people are actually willing to hear necessarily the truth about it some people actually work better with a with a routine around them than actually going and training full-time because they actually get more done they're actually more um they can they can condition themselves in a much better way and actually can take themselves away from the sport if they're too focused and too involved in the sport their performance actually drops off everybody's different and it's working out what works for each individual is the most important thing. And that's the way I've always based my coaching.
0: Yeah, Yeah. right. So did you ever have a plan B if triathlon didn't work out for you? I know you said you were starting to do um, physiotherapist. Was that the plan B or is that mixed up in plan A? Well,
1: to be honest, I never actually um, intended on being a professional athlete. That wasn't what I was going to do. That was not my... I was just having a really good time and it just sort of happened and trans and transpired and then people, lo and behold people were actually offering me money to do something that I really loved doing and I just thought you know what I've got to see how far this goes and and take it for you know take this ride and take this way for as long as I can take it because I don't want to die with any regrets and that's essentially the way that I've lived a lot of my life is there's no regrets at the end of the day I don't want to die a bitter old man I want to have lived as much life as I possibly can for however many le- years I've got on this planet, and then that's great. It's fantastic. And so that's the way that I always viewed it. So along the way, and particularly as I got towards the end of my career, I knew it's go- I, it's always going to come to an end. I mean, no one lives forever. It just doesn't work that way, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm realistic enough to know that. I'm, don't tell anyone, but I am. <laughs> and I actually went back and did an undergrad in exercise science and did a postgrad in exercise physiology as well. So. Oh. I've got to do some more hours. I've got to do another four, four or five week block of clinical um, placement and then I can get my accreditation as an exercise physiologist as well. And I'll probably go back to uni again because I, I'm learning I learn so much all the time and I, I you know I, going back to uni is kind of a way of officially putting a, a label on it and actually getting some yeah. sort of work value, I suppose for that that learning and that ongoing learning that I continue to do. so
0: yeah. So you said you were weighing 95 kilos when you were playing footy. What are you? What's your race weight now? <laughs> um,
1: I don't know that I've ever raced under 80 kilos. Um, oh really? Yeah, I don't think I've ever raced under 80 kilos. It would be low 80s. I I, I don't really weigh myself. It's not. It's not an obsession. It never has been an obsession of mine to ever be light. Um, and weight is not. I've always based how I race on how I perform in training and if I'm training really well and I feel strong and I feel fast then that's the weight I should be at and yeah. I, like I don't I, I think we've got a set of scales somewhere but I never really <laughs> hop on them my girlfriend hops on them sometimes and but even she's not really that weight obsessed so it's actually good I don't like seriously I, the only reason I was 95 kilos was because I, I and I knew it was because I to a bet in maths class for it right and that's the only reason I knew I was that weight because the, the, I bet the math teacher we, that I was yeah. heavier than he was. I won the bet.
0: <laughs> so, so, so how do you deal with the business side of being a pro? Have you got a manager or, or anything, or do you just handle that side yourself?
1: Uh, I, I've, I've worked with Phil Stoneman um, for the last, from M5 Management, and yeah. he is an absolute, he's an absolute professional, and I, I've always taken his advice anyway. Ironically, I used to negotiate my early contracts with him when IMG used to run Ironman in Australia. He used to work for IMG, so I've always had a really good relationship with him. Um, I've had uh, Trent Taylor manage me for a while. Um, So there's been, at various stages, management people that have actually worked with my career. But essentially, a lot of it has been uh, done by myself um, and done by the people around me, I suppose, is a way to describe it. So I think having a personal relationship with the people you work with is really, really important um, and very valuable. So I've always had a face-to-face relationship with all of my sponsors and, a, and an, um, a personal relationship with them as well. And that's the only way that I know how to do business, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, what about, um, if, if you noticed any difference between dealing with your sponsors from Australia versus sponsors from the US, so to speak? Oh,
1: yes, yes and no. I, there, there's always been... An Australian face from the US sponsor. I mean, majority of my sponsors have always been in Australia because, to be honest, that's where I started my career. That's where I live. That's who I am. That's where the market I see for me is, is around. It's not from a business standpoint. It's because I love racing in Australia. There's yeah. nothing like racing at home, you know. So, I find it really difficult, and I've always found it really difficult to break into the US market because I don't. I'm not an American. Yeah. And I think it's it's very difficult and i see a lot of australians find it really difficult to do business over in the states and work with sponsors in the states because they're not american it's <laughs> it's it's very much like that in the, in america it's unless you're american it's you've got to live there for a lot of years and you've got to have some sort of catch or some sort of thing that they they grab a hold of and essentially i don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so what do you what do you do for fun away from triathlon
1: um, look, I, I, do a lot of reading. I like, <laughs> I like, um, I used to do a lot of music. I, I studied, uh, trumpet for 19 years and did jazz for five years. So music's actually a really big passion of mine. I haven't done a lot of, I've done any performing for about probably 15 years now. Um, I, there are people that are, are really important to me. I love spending time with the people that are important to me, uh, my family. That that's the majority of what I do. Um, at the moment, for the last probably three or four years, it's been working. <laughs> I've had a, had a job down or one or two jobs down. Um, and then I suppose I, I like I like trying everything. I, I, that, that's the beauty of being retiring now is I can actually try and actually start surfing a bit more again and actually get better at it because I'm crap at it at the moment, but I really enjoy <laughs> it. Um, and I want to try a few other sports as well. I'd love to try marathon running. I've never done a straight marathon, so... Yeah, it, it's, it, triathlon has been very all-consuming for a lot of years but I've always had a, a pretty good work-life balance when it comes to the sport and I've always had friends outside the sport so I've always gone and spent time with them and it's been separate from the sport so I, I don't talk about triathlon 24-7. Yeah.
0: So was there anyone um, it, it, from, from day dot from triathlons I guess that you've always wanted to race but never got a chance to?
1: Ah, oh, that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, oh, there's guys that I've raced that, like uh, I've, r- I've raced Dave Scott, I've raced Mark Allen, I've raced Scott Tinley I've raced Scott Molina, um, and they were they were big heroes of mine when I first started. Um, let's see, Welshie, I raced Welshy, um, Brad Bevan. I, I would like to have raced Brad when he was at his prime because he he's just awesome. He was just He's an absolute legend and a legend of a guy too. Um, I raced Spencer Smith and I used to love watching him race. He was unbelievable. I raced Simon Lessing and trained with Simon for a while. He was pretty impressive. Um, There were a couple of guys out of Europe that I thought were pretty good um, in my early years. I'm just trying to remember a couple of the names uh, that I would like to race. But essentially, look, because I've been around for so long, I've pretty much got to race. I've never raced Gomez. Yeah, yeah. Javier Gomez, and I think he is an absolute – that guy is awesome. Holy shit.
0: He's I'm so pretty glad, impressive.
1: I'm so glad I'm leaving Long Course and Ironman now because he is <laughs> – it's going to be so much harder now. Um, I raced for Dino when he was younger, when, when I raced Bundesliga in the, in Germany. Um, so, yeah, look, so I don't know. There's, there's been so many guys that I've raced. Like I've, I've been around for a long time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So what, um, what advice would you give Jason Shortus going back 15 years ago or so? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, ironically, the advice would not necessarily be about triathlons. Um, I probably would have gone to the States and lived in the States for a while um, full-time and tried to make a, a bit more of an impact over there. But you know what, I... I I don't regret anything that I've ever done in the sport. Um, that would only be from the perspective that the only regret I probably do have is I didn't finish top ten in Hawaii, and and essentially you needed to to live and prepare in in the northern hemisphere to be able to race
0: yeah, in
1: Hawaii. Yeah. It's just it's so difficult coming from the southern hemisphere over. Um, it's really difficult, and I would I would probably have taken here you go this is the yeah, only one yeah. I would have probably taken a year off and learned how to swim properly. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, so um. Do more, do more swimming. Yeah. So you've got a coaching business. So how long have you had that for? Oh, look, I've been coaching for probably
1: 15 years.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I I've never really advertised it at all. I've always um worked mainly with age group athletes. Um and it's it's not more mostly been word of mouth and it's always been um it's always been customized programs, and it's, most of it's web based. But I, I do a lot of stuff one on one with people as well. So I've always worked with athletes, yeah, fifteen, probably even longer years. Um, but formally in a business sense for fifteen years, yeah.
0: So you're hoping to ramp that side of it up now since um, since since retiring from being a pro. Yeah, look, I, I I really enjoy I really enjoy
1: the coaching side. I I, I don't know if it's arrogance. I, I feel. I feel loath to say it, but I've, I kind of learned a lot out yeah. of the sport. I've got a fair bit of knowledge, I suppose, is a way to describe it. Um, and essentially, I feel like I've probably got some knowledge to give and some experience to share with people. And so I I really, really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy the teaching aspect. I, I did teach when I was first out of high school as well for a while. And I enjoy that. I, I really enjoy instructing and teaching people and helping share in their journey as well. So coaching is a, is a really big passion and always will be of mine
0: so where, so where can people go to find out more about your coaching services?
1: Oh, look if they just drop onto my website JasonShortest.com all the information's up there but just even drop me an email Jason at com, and we can you know start a conversation from that that respect um, The other thing that I've also been talking ironically with WTC yeah.
0: um,
1: about doing something in, a, um, in in a coaching mentoring uh, forum with them as well. So we'll see what happens with that in the future. It would be nice if that's something, if, if that actually occurred.
0: Is that in, in line of helping um, age groupers out or young pros?
1: No, in, in line of helping age groupers out. Um, the, essentially, there's I kind of feel like there's a, having looked around, there's a lot of misinformation for a lot of people out there. Uh, the World Wide Web is a fantastic place. It's a fantastic resource for information, but it also can be a, a bit of a... Um, a quagmire (laughs) there's a lot of information out there um so you know it's about probably streamlining a little bit for some people and, and providing an opportunity for people to learn how to get the best out of their racing experience is probably the best way to describe the wtc um approach and that's what they would like to do um and that's what i'd like to do as well so there's a uniform fit there so yeah but we'll see what happens in the future with them
0: so now, now that you've retired, you've mentioned that you want to do a marathon because um, you've never done done one straight. What do what do you reckon your marathon time would be without without warming up on a swim and a bike first?
1: It's probably going to be exactly the same. <laughs> probably going to be faster. Um, oh, I, I I had a run coach um, who was when I, who I worked with to really ramp my running up in my early years and. Um, Mike used to say that he reckoned I could run a two twenty. Um, and that'd be that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. But I reckon it's gonna really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, so yeah, look I'd just like to run some some really some great marathons here in Australia but also overseas as well. I'd love to run race in New York or Boston. Um, I'd love to run Comrades in South Africa, that'd be fantastic. I reckon that'd be awesome. Um, and I'd like to do some trail running, like some even some hundred K trail runs as well. I think that'd be pretty sure. cool.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because when you're um, on the run course of um, Busso and in between me shouting at you, I, my mate that I was with asked, what, "What do you reckon you'll be doing now?" And I said, "Well, the way you run, surely you'll be doing ultra ultra marathons and look, probably go um, in that direction." Is that, so, is that is that something you'd be looking at? Yeah, well, I'd
1: love to. I used to I grew up watching the Westfield you know, Sydney, to marathon, Sydney to Melbourne marathon, um, the ultra run, Cliff Young. Yannis Kouris, I thought that, that that was awesome. I thought that was it as a kid growing up. And I remember, I used, I remember waking up, and, and this is one of the best things that ever happened to me. I actually met um, watch, getting up and watching the marathon in Rotterdam when D, what broke the world record as a kid, young kid. And I actually got to have have a few meals with, with Rob D'Extello. He's an absolute hero. He's a legend, that bloke. And so I always, always, always loved marathon running, even as a kid. So it was it was a, a funny thing that I actually kind of have come to marathons from a completely different um, journey, I suppose. <laughs> I've run, you know, 83 marathons, but they've all been after 180k bikes, which is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> so what, what else is um, retirement looking for you? Like what else are you going to do for moving forward?
1: Oh, look, I have a real passion for strength and conditioning as well. Um, I think uh, the limiting factor for particularly a lot of endurance athletes is the fact that they're probably um, not as strong functionally as what they, they can be or need to be. Um, so I, I like people to get the most out of their bodies and I, I see a lot of people that could get a lot more out of it if they could actually do less swim, bike and run and do a little bit more of other stuff. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the gym, but I'm very much about functional um, functional strength and functional stability. Um, lifestyle prescription is a real passion of mine as well. I think there are a lot of people out there that could live some healthier lives and and live a lot longer and live a lot happier as well. And that's a real passion of mine as well. Um, So that was one of the reasons why I went back and I did exercise physiology because that, to me, fits a little bit better than physio. Um, The physio aspect of it will probably come into play a little bit more later on, I think, Um, treating people and rehabbing musculoskeletal injuries and stuff like that. But That'd um, be pretty
0: interesting, that side of it.
1: Yeah, look, that that's the other aspect that I'm actually really interested in as well. So there's gonna be a, a bit of bit of that, a bit of EP and a bit of physio and a bit of that going on as well. Um I, I have a wild idea in my back of my mind that I could go back and do medicine at uni, but I don't think there's enough years left <laughs> in Jason Shorts to go and do that and actually make a living out of it. So I think we might leave that for another life. <laughs>
0: Mate, I would like to finish off all interviews with. Um, have you got any good old funny stories either during a race, uh, um, training, travel, some, something funny or embarrassing?
1: Uh, I've got too many. That's the problem. <laughs> I've got too much on. I've got too much dirt on too many people. Um, <laughs> oh, look. Uh, the funny thing. The the beautiful thing about triathlon and the reason why I stuck around so long in particularly Ironman triathlon is the people. I think the people are just amazing, and and I love the people that I've been associated with. And, and um, I, I I think back to the training group when I used to train with Cole, and there were some amazing guys that I used to train with. There was a guy called Jared Brewer. It's called Jabba, who's from a place called Wingham, um, or Tiger Town, Taree. And Jared Brewer is have to be one of the toughest guys I've ever met in my life, um, and he's he's actually now a school teacher in Switzerland, married to a Swiss girl. Quite an interesting guy. Um, and there's another guy that I used to train with, a guy called Garrett McFadden, who's a Canadian guy, won Ironman Canada a couple of times. Who is the only guy I've ever seen who's actually bigger than me in races. Pro, he w- would be about 95 kilo. Um, rides the bike like it's stolen. Runs like he's his life depends upon it and swims like a stone. Um, but <laughs> really, I used to train with those guys and we used to do some amazing sessions where you go out and literally try to kill each other. Um, and I remember Cole had us, we did a, a five, six K swim session in the pool. And at the end of it, he goes, Okay, you three guys are doing Ironman Man, so you've got to swim 3.8 K. Let's do a time trial. And I went, Oh, <laughs> no, no, you can't be, You can't do this. So. <laughs> We swam 3.8K, and I missed a tumble turn and stood up on the bottom of the pool and then kept going. And then it, Cole waited till we actually finished, and then he said, okay, well, because Jason stood up in the swim, you've got to do it all again. Oh! And I remember I remember just, like, getting so furious, and both of them were Yeah, he's just trying to break you. He's just trying to break you. Don't let him break you. But, um, I mean, that's just one story. Probably... Yeah, look, I, I, that's not really that funny a story. Um, a story it's a
0: good story, though.
1: That, good story. And that, <laughs> that kind of describes a lot of the guys that I've met and a lot of the camaraderie that I see, not just in, in the professionals but in the age group guys, that there's that there's a camaraderie out there that's just – it's it's so hard to put – it. you can't put a price on it. And it's so hard to describe unless you've actually been in the situation. Like my last time I met, I was running along and I had a guy reach across – and I, he came up and introduced himself to him to me, and I, that's how I know his name. His name is Rod. And he literally shook my hand as I was running past him and said, it's a pleasure to, to race with you in your last Ironman. And he took time out of his race, and he actually finished, I think he even won his age group, or finished right up there. And he yeah. literally took time out of his race to actually encourage me in mine. And that's the sport of
0: triathlon. That's That's it. That describes it. Right, Ta- yeah. Talking about that, um, you're, you're obviously a fan favourite in Australia. I've watched you on a, a couple of races where you're running, and just the crowds going, "Go, Jase! Go, Shorter! You Shorter!" And you ever get to the stage where you're thinking, "Geez, I'd love to quit about now," but you can't because the crowd's really behind you. Uh,
1: um, it, that to be honest, that actually reminds me of a story, and it was the first year that Maka won at Foster, and I'm in Australia. I think it was 2002, 2001 or 2002, it might have been. Yeah. Um, and I, had, I was having a really, really bad day. I was actually a bit sick. I had a chest infection and I probably shouldn't have started. And I actually remember just having a, cra- a crap swim, a really bad bike. And I actually looked for I looked for Bill Dabrin, um halfway on the bike at the turnaround point in town to, so he could pull me out of the race. And he went and hid behind a tree so he, I wouldn't see him. Yeah. <laughs> so I kept and I actually came off the bike. And I remember distinctly that you used to do a 5K loop and then a 16K loop, and you did it twice. And I was actually about to start the run, and Craig Walton led off the bike, and he was 5K into his run. He was running back up the hill as I was about to start the run, and he was 21 minutes ahead of me. And a minute back, so 20 minutes ahead of me, was um, Chris McCormick, and the 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 announcer of the PA said, look, thanks. There's Jason Shortis, not having a good day. He won't be figuring in the top 10 today, but good on you, Shorto, right? And I remember I just went, you know what? I don't care. And someone yelled at me as I was running out of transition, come on, Shorto. And I just went, okay, let's go. Let's just have a go. And I just threw my hands in the air and just ran as hard as I can for as long as I can. And that was the whole plan from then on. And literally, as I would come through looping back into town and there was a crowd, they would hang over the fence and they were screaming at me as I was running because I started to develop some momentum. Yeah. And I've never, ever felt anything like that in my life. Um, it, it's, this, it's like an energy, a palpable energy that literally just threw me down the course. And there was absolutely no way. It hurt so much. I, the, the pain was indescribable, but there was no way I was going to let anybody down and actually slow up. So I just kept running as fast as I possibly could. And I ended up coming third. And I was nice. literally less than two minutes behind Maka at the end of the day. And that's the closest I ever got to the bastard. <laughs> but um that that is the best race I've ever had. That race to me describes um and frames for me why I race why I love racing in Australia and why wow. I will always feel have a very special place for the crowds that and the people that supported me in my racing because, like you, you can't you can't put a, that is just unbelievable. It, it's so hard to describe to anyone who hasn't experienced it, and it's just fantastic. And I, I really owe, I, I feel indebted to a lot of the people that have actually helped me and cheered me on when I've been out there racing, and that's the way that I feel about a lot of the fans in Australia, and why I loved racing in Australia. So. To me, it was about when I raced, it was about laying it all out there and not having anything left, and that was showing respect to the people who came out and cheered for me.
0: So. Yeah, Actually, I've got a Jason Shortest um, story myself. I um, we were at Ironman Australia we're were doing the Ironman Kids, and my daughter was doing her first, and you were at the finishing line like you generally see you at Iron Kids handing out medals. And mm-hmm. after it, you went um, – this is, I think, two years ago. You went back to um, – see your sponsors in the, um, I think you were at the specialised
1: um, yeah.
0: expo area. And my yeah. son, he was three years old or so, he was just walking around in the shops with me, and you you, you walked straight up to him, and you had a Iron Kid medal in your pocket, and you actually gave him the um, medal. And he actually still has it up on his wall, as though he's just done the Iron Kid. But it was a really, um, really good moment. So it was, yeah,
1: but it, It's funny because being a dad myself, I used to see, a lot of the kids that weren't old enough, and but had siblings that raced and did the Iron Kids, but wanted to be part of it, and it was all about just that little medal. And it, and that to me, that's that's what I'm. You know, like for most people that race I Man, it's about getting the finisher's medal, and it's for the kids that do do the race as well. And so, like, I, I could just imagine being in a family where one kid was too young to race. The fight that would break out <laughs> and the jealousy of that one medal. So that's why. And you shouldn't tell David to see this. Oh, I always used to put it in my pocket, and I'd walk along, and if I saw a little kid that was there that had actually seen one of the, the other, they had this, seen their sibling race. I would always try and give give an extra one out because, yeah. to me, that's what it was about. It wasn't necessarily about actually doing the race. It was about being there and being part of the whole the whole atmosphere. So yeah. Anyway, no, that's that's great. I'm glad. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really good story. It's not. there. Yeah.
0: No, it was really good. It was. Um, oh, he loves it, and he still got it on his wall at the moment. Um, but before I, before I let you go, mate, um, do you want to uh, mention any sponsors and what they've done for you?
1: Yeah, look, the major sponsor that I have to mention is ASICS because I've been with them for over 17 years. Um, Sam Chew at ASICS is absolutely awesome. He's been fantastic for me. Um, I actually predate him in the company. He actually reminded me the other day when I called him on the phone to say thank you. So, <laughs> uh, and I'll always have a relationship with ASICS from, from till the day I die, so They've been fantastic. I'd I really like to thank Sam and Ardo um, from, from Specialized because they came on board the last four years and I'm an old, tired triathlete and to come on, it was a real risk for them, but I really appreciate them and I appreciate all the products I got to yeah. use with those guys. I, I got to use some of the stuff that I only did ever dream of using, so it was fantastic. Um, and a really big thank you to Glenn Forbes from Cannibal who's always supported me throughout my career. Um and always made me look good. Forbes used to always, we'd come up with a theme that was based around either my running shoes or glasses. Or, and it was always about trying to look look good and have some sort of impact and look as professional as I could on the race course. And so I really like to thank, um, personally thank Glenn Forbes for that. He's awesome from Cannibal. Well,
0: so, yeah. you, you have had the best looking um, tri-kits so in most races. So, so that was <laughs> Glenn's design.
1: It was forward to you. So, yeah. uh, it wasn't necessarily his design, but he put it together. So, But Glenn's a very, incredibly artistic guy, um, and he's got a, a great, he's great foresight. He's a really, really clever man. Isn't he?
0: Fantastic, mate. All right, all right. Thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. It's been really good. I appreciate it.
1: Pleasure, Tim. Jeez,
0: and appreciate all the all the best with moving forward. Thank you very much, mate. Jeez. Thank you so much. For